The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 371, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, October 5th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show where we cover mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. On Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling, and Thursdays, we shift gears and cover some gaming, entertainment, sometimes a little tech thrown in there for good measure. And again, you can watch that live. mtrlive.com is the main place to tune in. We have audio and video streams going, as well as a chat room to interact. In addition to that, video is being simulcast to a couple of different providers, including Vaughn Live, StreamUp, um, Twitch, of course, YouTube Live, and Daily Motion as well. So you've got a couple of places that you can watch the live video feed. But as always, MTR Live is the best, best place to do so, so you can interact with the show while it is in progress. Uh, the audio feed is simulcast to Mixler, M-I-X-L-R, and there is an audio-only feed on the site. In addition to that, you can download the Mixler app, For iOS and Android devices, uh, punch in Mixler, M-I-X-L-R, then punch in, of course, My Take Radio, and you'll be able to subscribe to it and be notified when we are doing live shows. In addition to our show, Ben and Taylor's Black is the New Black also does live broadcasts on Mixler, and you can look for their show as well. Archived episodes, including today's, will be available on RageWorks.net. In addition, audio will be on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio within 24 to 48 hours of broadcasting. And of course, video will be on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. All right, so a couple of things before we get into tonight's topics. Uh, The broadcast schedule for October, we will be doing shows next week, but there will not be shows the week of October 17th. Uh, We will not be doing shows. Uh, in preparation for the Photo Plus Expo and a couple of other events that we got going on that week. So there will not be live episodes of MTR that week. But there will be two shows this week, 
tonight's MMA and wrestling show and tomorrow's gaming and entertainment show, as well as two shows following after that. Then there'll be shows at the end of the month after that week that will be off. And of course, the November schedule will start putting some stuff together. Of course, as a reminder, we will post any broadcast changes on RageWorks.net to make sure you guys are aware of what's going on in that regard. But there will be a little bit of a break due to us covering uh, the Photo Plus Expo and a couple of other events that we got going on that week. Just a uh, quick reminder for that. Also, I know some of you have been asking about some of our other shows and particular schedules. I was actually looking to include a show calendar on RageWorks.net to kind of keep everybody up to date with release schedules. But the thing is that I know I have a set broadcast schedule Wednesdays and Thursdays for live shows with podcast release. Usually, like I said, within 24 to 48 hours, um, TRSS does a weekly broadcast. Their schedule varies based on Jay's schedule, but usually uh, this week, for instance, I got the show uh, Jay's latest show a little while ago, so you'll be able to hear that on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio a couple of hours after we wrap MTR as we have to do some editing and a couple of other things. But um, with regards to TRSS, you're usually going to get the shows weekly, and they will be usually late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, especially now with Thursday NFL games. We're trying to get TRSS out to you guys before those games go down on Thursday since Jay does picks for every week of NFL football. So be on the lookout for that. In addition, uh, Josie's Boys Call Me When It's Over also is a weekly show, and usually the recording schedule once again varies, but we are usually releasing those every week. Uh, Slick just told me that Daily Motion is playing, but Vaughn Live is not. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Thank you for that heads up, Slick. Uh, The other thing with Black is the New Black, like I said, if you are a Mixler user, you can stay up to date with live broadcasts for that show. But Ben and Taylor also try to do those shows weekly. And if you've seen, we also have brought over JVB's Anything Podcast and the Post Game Report. Uh, Those particular shows are released on JVB's schedule, and we then just share them to our listeners through RageWorks.net. As always, you can look for those shows on iTunes and any of our shows, TRSS, Call Me When It's Over, Black is the New Black. Um, The upcoming variant issue will all be found on the current RSS feed. I know a lot of you guys were inquiring about the uh, individual subscriptions for the shows. Like I said, we are going to change that My Take Radio main feed to the RageWorks network and just put it all shows. And then... We are going to try and start testing individual feeds for the shows. It's just a matter of setup and distribution because, like I said, once you start entering the individual shows to iTunes, you're going to have to do individual to Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. And those shows and their respective hosts, that'll just have to give them, you know, it'll give them something else they got to chase after and log in for and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's easier since I'm already managing the feeds. I can manage it that way. But for those of you that want individual shows, you can always take the RSS feed for the show of your choice and dump it into the podcatcher of your choice, whether it's iTunes or any of the other third-party podcatchers, and the RSS feed will give you access to those shows as well. 
distribution, just a quick update, distribution to uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Google Play is still in process. I haven't heard anything back with regards to the documentation we submitted, but we are still working to have that finalized. And again, as soon as we do, I will share it with you guys. All right. On this week's episode, we got a couple of different things. We got some news on the MMA front, including um, the passing of a fighter, a former Ultimate Fighter contestant, and UFC roster member passed away recently. We're going to get into that. We're also going to get into a couple of fight cards that started to take shape, including Daniel Cormier's next title defense and against whom. We'll be discussing that. On the wrestling side of things, we are going to get into uh, Bound for Glory. We're going to talk about Raw the final SmackDown before this Sunday's No Mercy, and, um, of course, the wrestling news of the week, including a couple of stabbings that have been going on, uh, one pertaining to Jamie Noble and one regarding Alberto Del Rio. We're going to discuss that. And, as always, we will take your calls, 347-324-3541, 347-324-3541. All right. With that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into some MMA, shall we? So this past weekend, we had a UFC Fight Night event that saw John Dodson... Uh, taking on Lineker. We're going to get into that. We're also going to discuss Will Brooks and Alex Oliveira's fight. And the reason I'm touching on those two particular fights as opposed to the entire card is because, in all honesty, I forgot that the rest of those the rest of those fights were taking place on Saturday night. Funny thing was the you know like I said before, I talked about it on last week's show that the card was upcoming, and I totally forgot to set my DVR, but. I was saved by the fact that it actually ended up starting later than most fight cards. So I got to actually check out Will Brooks and Alex Oliveira's fight as well as the Lineker Dodson fight. And I got to say, Will Brooks coming over from Bellator, taking on Alex Oliveira, there was a lot going into this fight. Um, you know, there was a lot of trash talking, a lot of animosity heading in. And um, I really thought Will Brooks was going to have, you know, a, a standout performance, but Oliveira definitely stepped it up. And ended up securing the victory via TKO in the third round. Um, it was one of those situations where, you know, Oliveira came in. He was just dialed in a little bit more. And, you know, he had he had some issues with some weight leading up to the fight. But he definitely um, went in there and delivered an outstanding performance. You know, when it comes to weight cutting, and we discussed this last week, it's always going to be a mixed bag on how I feel about it. And I understand uh, fighters being upset about their opponents missing weight and then having to come up with the decision of whether they take the fight or not. Obviously, there's going to be factors such as, um, you know, getting 20% of your opponent's purse, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, for me personally, I, I'm always of the, of the mindset that, you know, you have to come in at weight and especially now with the very, very strong changes that have been made in terms of rehydration and, and you know, supplementation and everything else that's under the microscope, you got to come in on weight, folks. And I understand Will Brooks' frustration. Um, Alex Oliveira definitely, you know, 
had to be penalized for coming in heavy. I was just surprised that he took it to Will Brooks the way he did. Um, definitely a solid performance. Now, the John Lineker-John Dotson fight was a fight that really divided a lot of fans, and that's because the fight went could have gone either way. It ended with Lineker taking the fight via split decision, and um, for me personally, I felt I watched the fight later on that evening. First, I watched it live, and then I watched it on a replay, and I said to myself, you know, the fight, depending on how you watch it, you would have probably said that John Dodson won pretty much every time. Unfortunately, like anything else, once you let it go into the judges' hands, all bets are off. I was I was disappointed, like I said, because you know Lineker was is another guy had trouble making weight, and um, you know I think I think John Dodson uh, was I don't want to say he was robbed by the judges because you could have watched that fight either way. And I think this was a fight that definitely had some title implications. But again, it was, you know, it's one of those things where when you leave it in the hands of the judges, you risk, you know, being uh, the decision not going in your favor. And like I said, I watched the fight and I said to myself, you know, Dodson could have won that fight the two times that I watched it. Then it was funny because uh, late Tuesday night, early Wednesday, I I watched a little bit of it again just because I wanted to see if I was missing anything. And I watched it, and I was like, damn, it, 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 it was really, really, really close. I'm just bummed out because John Dodson's a guy who's always so close to jumping back in there to challenge for the title. And, you know, he always has amazing standout performances. And this, this performance was definitely another one for the record books. I was just, like I said, bummed out because there was so much going into this fight um, you know, Lineker came in with a five fight win streak, but you know, he missed weight for, for a fifth time. And that's something that, again, you know, you look at, you look at that stuff and there's, there's certain things you got to say, especially, you know, if you have missed weight five times, it's, you know, it, the, the Lineker win was necessary because he needed to obviously protect his placement. I mean, he was ranked number three. Uh, going into this, taking on John Dodson. And for me personally, like I said, I just felt that it was it was a fight that should have gone to John Dodson, and it didn't. But I also feel that rewarding Lineker with a title opportunity, considering he's missed weight five times, is also some really, really questionable stuff. So we'll see how that shakes out in the next couple of weeks. Um, like I said, I enjoyed both fights. I was bummed that I missed the live broadcast and when I got in, I saw the two fights and I didn't feel, I'm going to be honest. I didn't feel like rewatching the card, not because I didn't give a shit about it, but just because there weren't enough fights to capture my attention. Nonetheless, the, uh, Oliveira Brooks fight and the Dodson Lineker fight were definitely two solid fights. That's for damn sure. All right. So aside from that, let's get into this week's MMA news. There were, Quite a, a couple of noteworthy happenings. Um, with regards to $50,000 bonuses, Nate Marquardt took a bonus. Uh, Curtis Blytus took a bonus. Uh, Brandon Moreno took a bonus. And Luis Enrique De Silva also took a $50,000 fight bonus for their performances at UFC Fight Night 96. I'm actually shocked that they didn't give fight of the night to Dodson and Lineker. I felt that their fight was... Very good and definitely deserved it, especially as close as it was that 
you know, you would have liked to have given them that opportunity and that extra 50K, but obviously that was not the case. So last week we were talking about the fallout from Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo's, um, you know, gripes. And I say this because, you know, Conor McGregor's going in facing Eddie Alvarez and there's a lot of gripes, like I said, I've had about that. And Jose Aldo has his fair share with with good reasoning. Um, first and foremost, obviously, him winning the interim belt, not getting a chance to unify it by fighting McGregor, and then McGregor going on to challenge Eddie Alvarez. It's it's ruffled a lot of feathers out. Jose Aldo's one, Khabib Nurmagomedov is the other, and we're going to get into that later on in the segment. But Jose Aldo actually um, sat down with Yahoo Sports and continued to just express his displeasure with the UFC and what they've done regarding his title opportunity, as well as what I mentioned last week, him wanting his release from his contract. So in regards to his displeasure, he said in the Yahoo Sports piece, first of, first of all, my dissatisfaction is not about getting this fight with Conor McGregor. My dissatisfaction has been brewing for a long time. Before my loss to McGregor, when I had to pull out of our first fight, I was not happy with the way the UFC spun my rib injury. I was not happy to see them mischaracterize my injury and not support me as I had to pull out of that fight. I, I do have to give credit there, and he is right, because when he did injure his rib, the UFC as an organization should have him being their champion said, all right, he got injured, he pulled out, it happens. Instead, it turned into... The UFC as an organization reporting that he had to withdraw and Dana White kind of and eh, not really sure about the injury, you know, kind of just making people question if the injury was legitimate, which obviously it was. But even still, it definitely did hurt Jose Aldo and the way he was being viewed. I agree. I agree with that. He was asked about not getting what he feels he's owed. And he said, I don't think that I've received in the UF, what I've received in the UFC is commensurate with what I have achieved as an athlete or what I've done for the sport and in my weight class. But that's not all that different from other UFC athletes. We all know the pay is not what it should be. And again, you know, the, the pay in mixed martial arts, especially in the UFC, has always been a question, uh, a hot topic of discussion here on the show and also a big question as to how it's structured. But again, I, I feel that in Jose Aldo's case, he also has had great, great opportunities, especially fighting McGregor to get some serious paydays. You're, you're always going to look at that type of an environment from both the fighters perspective and the promotions perspective. Do I feel that the UFC underpays a lot of their fighters? Absolutely. Do I feel that certain fighters are getting overpaid? Yes. But at the end of the day, you know, it's freedom of choice. It's either you fight in the organization that's going to get you the most exposure or you fight in a smaller organization and possibly make more money, but also as a result have less exposure. It's it's really a, a double-edged sword. And, you know, Jose Aldo, like I said, has some legitimate gripes. When asked about losing his passion and motivation, he said, frankly, it started to feel like a circus with promises made and not kept. Definitely true. Uh, if that's how it's going to be, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I don't feel on the professional side I've gotten the respect I'm due, and I've lost my passion. I've lost my motivation for the sport because of the way things have gone. I am in peace, and I want to be released, be released and be done with the UFC. 
Again, as I said before, Jose Aldo's commentary is legitimate, especially because, as I said, he fought Frankie Edgar. The winner was going to get the interim belt, fight McGregor. That was it. Turns out that wasn't the case. And the problem is that there's there's always going to be discussions and debates about whether the, you know the UFC is treating Aldo correctly or if Aldo ended up becoming his own worst enemy. There's always going to be some arguments there, but I do feel that if he was the guy that earned the opportunity, he should have had the opportunity to fight. Simple as that. And that's something that, for me personally, I I I do stand, I do understand where he's coming from. And personally, if he did get his release, any organization would pick him up immediately and pay him a, a decent amount of money. Because again, you're talking about one of the guys that, that was undefeated again for 10 years, uh, still has an incredible fan base, especially in Brazil. And that's something that you have to take into consideration if you're a promotion that's looking to expand. Now, I do got to say that Jose Aldo would probably get what he's due monetarily from Bellator because I think Bellator is definitely trying to build uh, you know, compelling weight classes and they're trying to get the star power there to, to get people invested. And I, and I think that Bellator would be able to do that, especially if Spike TV um, ends up getting involved. Again, we'll see what happens, but I'm curious to see how it's going to pan out. They may... They may force McGregor to fight Aldo after the fact, but I think they've done a lot of damage already in that regard. So, you know, I'll keep you guys posted if anything does change. Now, as many of you know, with regards to the current UFC landscape, after the organization was sold to WME IMG, um, you know, Dana White stayed on board, but a lot of questions were raised given that, you uh WME IMG is an entertainment agency and now they're overseeing an incredibly large excuse me seeing an incre- you know they're overseeing a large diverse amount of talent in the organization and now with that said something interesting came to light recently and that is that with the UFC being owned by WME IMG the UFC now has celebrities as part owners of the company. And I found this out because there was a Wall Street Journal piece that was circulating. I ended up, somebody forwarded me the link, and it turns out that 23 celebrities have invested in the UFC. Now, because of that, it obviously gives these celebrities uh, some some legitimate stakes in the organization and the 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 potential to actually contribute their opinions to the development of the company. The celebrities that are part owners of the UFC are uh, hip-hop artist The Weeknd, uh, Adam Levine, Anthony Kiedis, Ben Affleck, Calvin Harris, Cam Newton, Conan O'Brien, Flea, Guy Fieri, Jimmy Kimmel, Lee Na, LL Cool J, Maria Sharpova, Mark Wahlberg, Michael Bay, Rob Deerdeck, Robert Kraft, Serena Williams, Sylvester Stallone, Tom Brady, Trey Parker, Tyler Perry, and Venus Williams. Now, again, these celebrities have invested in the promotion. And the funny thing was that TMZ, 
uh, cornered Dana White and asked him about it. And he said that, you know, he he would be willing to listen to some of the investors input if it's good for the UFC and the company will definitely take that into account. Now, again, the funny thing is that as soon as that news item broke, people were like, oh, my God, Tom Brady owns the UFC. Like there's there's a lot more to it. They all all these celebrities own a stake in the company. And I obviously there's going to be some celebrities that may own uh, larger stakes than others. But at the end of the day, you know, the WME IMG agency owns uh, the UFC as a whole. For me, I think that that's good and bad. It's good Obviously, because now it's not just, you know, the Fertitas deciding the fate of the company. It's, you know, the W, you know, the agency itself, plus these investors have some legitimate say in where the company goes. Is it right? Is it wrong? That remains to be seen. I mean, we're not going to see, you know, Mark Wahlberg uh, telling Dana White how to do his job, but it could happen. I mean, we're also looking at it from the perspective of that Dana White is under a lot more scrutiny now, whether he chooses to admit it or not, because with new ownership comes the potential for them trying to turn the UFC into something that is even more profitable to sell it to someone else. I mean, this is, this is a business after all, but the celebrity involvement is interesting because of the, of the parties involved. And it's going to, it's going to make things interesting. I think for Dana White, He's going to definitely have to um, not not be on his P's and Q's, but definitely be uh, a little bit more aware of what he puts out there. Simple as that. On the Bellator side of things, we got two fights that were announced recently for the upcoming Bellator event, which is Bellator 163, uh, taking place November 4th. Uh, we're going to see Paul Semtex Daily back in there taking on Derek Anderson and also, we're going to see the Bellator return of Serge, of Sergey Karatanov. He's going to be taking on Javi Ayala. Uh, big fan of Karatanov. I've watched him fight kickboxing, and I've also seen him fight in Strike Force, and he even fought in Bellator um, a lot. Well, a while back, and I think he actually popped up once. I think he had one fight in Bellator and didn't come back after that. But I know he was supposed to fight at Bellator 154, had to pull out because he got injured. But now he's going to be on the November 4th Bellator 163 card where the main event is Liam McGarry putting his light heavyweight title up against Mr. Wonderful Phil Davis. Uh, of course, more more news on that card will be uh, obviously forthcoming as other fights get announced, but there are a couple of good of good talents on that card. Like I said, Paul Daly, uh, Sergey Karatanov, Marlos Kunin, uh, Liam McGarry, Phil Davis, of course, and... Um, you know, I think that that's going to be one of those cards that is going to be a sleeper for Bellator. People are going to kind of be on the fence about it, but there's definitely some good, there's definitely the potential for some great fights. So as soon as we get additional information regarding any additional fights, scheduling, etc., I will let you guys know. But Bellator 163 does go down November 4th. The UFC did get some bad press this week as Michael Graves was removed from UFC Fight Night 100. He was scheduled to take on uh, Sergio Marais, but it turns out Michael Graves was arrested for misdemeanor battery. Uh, the UFC, of course, has to put out a press release acknowledging the arrest, which took place this past weekend. And, of course, as a result of that arrest, he has been removed from the Fight Night 100 card. The UFC, of course, will be investigating 
And um, we'll see where it goes from there. But again, this is one of those situations where the UFC, much like the NFL and other premier organizations, have to take these allegations under you know serious consideration and they have to act accordingly, obviously, not only for the sake of the company, but just for the perception amongst the general public. Once we find out more details about this arrest, we will share that with you guys. Ah, as excited as I was last week talking about BJ Penn fighting UFC Fight Night 97 against Ricardo Lamas, it unfortunately is not going to happen. Turns out that BJ Penn was injured during training, according to MMA Junkie, and will not be able to face Ricardo Lamas as scheduled. Now, we don't know if um, BJ Penn will be replaced to face, um, you know, to have an, a new opponent for Ricardo Lamas, but it definitely is going to be extremely short notice as UFC Fight Night 97 goes down October 15th in the Philippines. The entire event is scheduled to be broadcast on Fight Pass, and it makes you wonder who can they get in roughly uh, 10 days notice to step in for the injured BJ Penn. And not only that, but also deliver enough of an exciting fight that people will want to tune in. Uh, definitely very interesting. Of course, if we find out anything regarding a replacement opponent, we will let you guys know on the next episode of MTR. All right. So the thing that got me, um, oh, what the hell happened? Hold on a second, guys. Seems that uh, Skype... Decided to drop out for some reason. Fucking Skype, guys. Uh, apologies for that. Anyway, now that we got our connection restored, as I was saying before we were interrupted, um, Khabib Nurmagomedov joins uh, Jose Aldo as one of the fighters that has gripes with the organization. As many of you know, uh, Khabib was originally the opponent that Eddie Alvarez was scheduled to face. And as a result, obviously, of a bigger payday, Eddie Alvarez is now facing Conor McGregor at the upcoming UFC event here in New York City. Khabib, not too happy. Uh, he is on the card, on the 205 card, but is facing Michael Johnson. He did an interview recently with MMA Fighting, and he was asked about it, and he said that he is, he's not happy. He said, and I quote, I'm a little bit upset because I already had two contracts to fight for the title at 205 and 206. I signed both of them, and after that, the UFC makes this bullshit decision. I'm a little bit upset, but it's okay. Sometimes shit happens, you know? After this fight, I have to fight for the title. UFC thinks Connor has power. Irish people only are only like 6 million people. I'm from Russia, where it's 150 million people. If the UFC doesn't give me a title fight after this fight, I'm going to show I have power in Russia. I know if I don't fight for the title next fight, UFC will never, ever go to Russia. Now, I understand, and Khabib has... A complete right to be upset but if there's one thing we've learned with the UFC is you can't you can't make threats it ends up pissing off the organization and sometimes they will call you on your bluff I mean McGregor didn't want to do some of the stuff that the organization wanted him to do and as a result was pulled from UFC 200 whether whether he him fighting on the 200 card or not would have made a difference doesn't matter but they showed that, you know, just because you think you have all the power doesn't mean you necessarily do. I disagree. I think McGregor 
uh, given the amount of eyes that he places on the UFC product whenever he is at the helm. Um, I think he definitely has some respect in the organization in terms of his drawing power, and I think that's a big factor in terms of him getting a lot of what he wants. Again, I feel that Khabib 100% is correct. He should, he should, you know, if he signed contracts to fight and the UFC switched it up on him, do I feel that it, he'd, be, he'd be a big draw? Maybe. But it also goes into that same situation as someone like Jose Aldo, which I've talked about before being a draw in Brazil. And, you know, Khabib may be a big draw in Russia. But what happens when you take those fighters outside of that and make them fight in the U.S.? At the end, it becomes a combination of both fighters uh, building up plenty of press for people to tune in for a fight. And like I said, Eddie Alvarez is a pretty well-known fighter, um, obviously having fought in Bellator now in the UFC. He has his own fan base. He's definitely a popular fighter. But I think that a fight between him and Khabib from a monetary standpoint, from an interest standpoint, there's going to be interest from the diehards, but I don't feel you're going to get a huge level of interest from uh, people such as, you know, the casual fans. The casual fans want to tune in for super fights, big money fights, fights that have individuals that get them invested. Is it right? Is it wrong? For me personally, I do feel that if, if the records and the rankings dictate that you should challenge, then it's up to the organization to be a factor in selling that fight and not just put the weight squarely on the fighter's shoulders. And I say this because in this case, obviously they put all the weight on Conor McGregor. McGregor sells the fights. People tune in. Every, everybody gets paid. And then when Conor McGregor says, I want to fight this guy or that guy, the UFC either has to, you know, take his demands into consideration, give him what he wants, or they got to sit there and not have him on a card. And then if the card doesn't do well, you got to deal with McGregor talking shit, saying, hey, you know, the card would have done better if you guys would have let me fight, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, Khabib has a legitimate gripe. Um, I just feel that him him threatening the UFC, I understand, you know, he's, you know, he's from Russia. He's got, you know, a Russian audience behind him. But I got to also say, if you, you know, you'd have a bigger Russian audience if it was someone like Fedor, making those demands. Again, no disrespect to Khabib. I think Khabib is an, an amazing fighter, a talented fighter, but you're, you're playing chicken with an organization that can just have you, you know, either make you, force you to, to leave the organization or, or release you from your contract. You're not a guy that, even though statistically you should be fighting and you have all the tools to be in the main event, the UFC is essentially saying that they don't need you to be successful. Is it right on the, on the organization's behalf? I don't think so. I think that the guys that are there and need to fight, they should fight, and the organization needs to step up and sell those fights. I mean, obviously the opponents, the, the fighters and their opponents are going to try their hardest to sell it, but the organization needs to step in as well. In the case of Eddie Alvarez and Conor McGregor, there's a lot at stake in terms of marketability. Uh, number one, obviously, Conor McGregor being on the verge of being a champion, an active champion in two weight classes. A lot of history there. In Eddie Alvarez's case, he has the opportunity to play the role of spoiler and continue to be um, 
you know, a fi- continue to be one of the fighters that has derailed the Conor McGregor hype train. Uh, again, you know, Nate Diaz has has that in his back pocket that he can, you know, he can step in and fight Conor McGregor at a moment's notice and people will tune in because he has shown that he is equally as marketable as McGregor. Obviously, McGregor is going to do a better job in terms of showmanship, but in terms of shit talking and getting people invested, I think Nate Diaz does, does just as much of a credible job in that capacity. Khabib, he can sell fights based on ability, but how much how much can ability sell versus showmanship? It's an interesting question and one that I will be watching closely as Khabib has said in, in this interview and recently in a couple of other uh, different pieces that have been out there that he would not be, you know, he would also leave the organization if he did not get a title opportunity next um you know it's it's crazy i mean when they asked him about you know why he took the fight with michael johnson he said i'd rather take this fight with johnson because alvarez signed with the ufc bullshit contract because he understands if he takes a fight with me his belt is going bye-bye that's why both of them take this fight and dana has played games and used my name i'll never forget this if i don't fight i'm gonna show how i have power in russia and the UFC, I won't fight in the UFC ever, and the UFC will never, ever go to Russia. The UFC thinks Connor has power. I have power, too. It's not all about pay-per-view. I have power, too, and I'm going to show this power. Again, it's one of those situations where, you know, you want to play chicken with the organization. The organization may call you out on that bluff. We're going to follow. I'm definitely going to follow this story very closely, especially because, like I said, the fallout from UFC 205 is going to be massive any way you slice it. If McGregor wins the belt from Eddie Alvarez and is a champ in two weight classes, then he has to de- defend the belt against Jose Aldo and against Khabib. It's a matter of, is he defending it? You know, the time frame for each title defense is going to be a big factor. I know that Dana White has said, oh, Conor McGregor has to relinquish one of the belts, but, you know, McGregor said at the press conference he wasn't going to do that. And... Even if they decide to let him rock with two titles in two weight classes, you need to determine title defenses. Because let's say he comes out of the fight with Eddie Alvarez and he's he's injury free or he's medically cleared to fight. When do you put him back in there? January, February, right before the Super Bowl? Maybe. Okay, now you got two guys that you've pissed off that you've said are both on the are both eligible challengers for McGregor. With that said, what do you do? Do you A, go with Jose Aldo because he's the one that deserved it most, or B, do you opt to go with, um, you know, do you opt with Khabib getting the next title opportunity? It's um, It's insane. For me, I think, honestly... If I had to book long term, first we gotta obviously consider that if McGregor wins, he should fight Jose Aldo first. And then Khabib should be the challenger for the next fight for that belt. That's how I see it. Fight Jose Aldo for the featherweight, fight Khabib for the lightweight, and that's it. Jose Aldo should get his title D his title opportunity, and he should then defend it against Khabib. Obviously, you're going to want to take into consideration injuries, layoffs, etc. 
And if the if a guy like Khabib even wants to wait for that, or if he wants to fight for an interim belt until McGregor can fight him again, these are all these are all a a variety of different factors that are at play with this UFC 205 card. Again, you know we can we can hope Alvarez beats McGregor, and then Alvarez goes on to fight Khabib whenever that is, and McGregor goes on to finally defend his belt against Jose Aldo. Again, these are all things that. We would like to see, but, you know, if McGregor plays the role of spoiler, he's going to fuck up a lot of the organization's plans because if he doesn't relinquish that belt, how are you how are you going to structure it? How are you, you can't make him fight every three months or whatever the case may be. Or you could, depending on how he comes out of the fight. It remains to be seen, but it's a uh, it's a touchy situation. That's for sure. Last bit of MMA news. Uh, last two pieces of MMA news for the week. Uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson will be back in the title hunt, challenging Daniel Cormier for the light heavyweight title at UFC 206 going down December 10th. It was announced during uh, UFC tonight that the match was going to take place. Looking forward to that. We're going to see if Anthony Rumble Johnson has, um, you know, learned enough from his previous outing to dethrone Daniel Cormier. And of course, the specter of John Jones is still out there um, as the commission hearings for him, uh, Nate Diaz, Connor, uh, him, Nate Diaz, and um, Brock Lesnar, all those hearings were postponed. Conor McGregor will be meeting with the commission on Monday for some sort of punishment or fine for the water bottle throwing incident with Nate Diaz from their last press conference. So we'll see what happens there. But again, um, looking forward to seeing Rumble and DC go at it again. We'll see if you know Rumble has the tools to knock out Daniel Cormier and finally capture that 205-pound title. We'll see what happens. Again, UFC 206 goes down December 10th. Last but not least, as I said, uh, there was a, a death in the, in, in the MMA world this week. Uh, Josh Salmon... Uh, age 28, who competed on The Ultimate Fighter and has been fighting in the UFC, was found unresponsive in a uh, South Florida apartment by police. He ended up uh, going into a coma, which he was in since last week, and has passed away. As of right now, it was originally said that he was, um, it might have been a suspected drug overdose. His friend, who was also there, was found dead at the scene, but Josh Salmon was breathing and had a pulse. Uh, as of right now, it's unknown what the cause of death was. Like I said, it's easy to say that it might have been a drug overdose, but unfortunately, that may not have been the case. Um, there's unfortunately not going to be a toxicology report because Josh Salmon was alive for days after he was found, and there were no suitable specimens to test, according to the Broward County Medical Examiner's Office. Um, you know, Kirkenberg, who's his friend, uh, Troy Kirkenberg, the cause of death will be determined based on toxicology for him. He was also 28. Now, of course, obviously it's a, it's a, it's a sad news story for the MMA world. Uh, one of the, one of the guys who has been on MTR Gilbert Smith uh, was good friends with Josh Salmon wrote a very, uh, you know, a touching piece on social media. It, it sucks, you know, reading stuff like that. The guy was 28. He'd been doing, um, a lot of writing with different websites. He was going to start writing for the UFC also. And um, he had his fair share of demons. You know, he had drug addiction issues, suicidal thoughts. And he wrote a book 
which was scheduled for release. And it's unfortunate that, you know, the, his book is, you know, the, his book will probably be released and it may touch on some of those demons that he had, but we may never find out unless something happens within the next couple of weeks, what his cause of death was again, Josh Salmon, age 28 UFC fighter, ultimate fighter, uh, contestant on the ultimate fighter found dead. Uh, well, let me rephrase that, uh, found unresponsive was in a coma from last week and passed away this week. Our condolences to Josh Salmon's friends and family who I'm sure are devastated by the news. All right. That is, uh, you know, a, a, a low, a low way to, to end the show, uh, to end the show, <laughs> to end the segment for this week. Like I said, if we find out anything further regarding uh, Josh Salmon's cause of death, we will definitely share it with you guys. Uh, but with that, we are going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week. Let us switch gears and jump into this week's wrestling segment. Let's get to it. It would only be right to open this week's wrestling segment with discussion of TNA's pay-per-view Bound for Glory. Now, as many of you know, TNA has been the subject of numerous rumors these last couple of weeks, from the company having zero money to Billy Corrigan buying the company to WWE buying the company to nobody buying the company to a mysterious uh, benefactor contributing money for TNA to continue operations through 2016. At the end of the day, it's been a very, very, very uh, up and down week for TNA fans and wrestlers. That's for sure. But the big news going into Bound for Glory was the fact that TNA may not have had money to even put on the Bound for Glory event, much less fly their talent out there. Obviously, at the midnight hour, that turned out to not be the case, and Bound for Glory did go on as planned. Uh, the only change was that Drew Galloway was unable to compete in the Grand Championship Tournament Finals due to a concussion. He was replaced by Eddie Edwards. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, as for the card itself, you know, this is considered one of TNA's big events, bigger events, Bound for Glory. And I got to say, something that I've noticed with TNA and even WWE to a point, uh, Ring of Honor not as much, but their their events are hit or miss for a multitude of reasons, whether it's storytelling, matches, pacing, whatever the case may be. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. It varies from show to show. Uh, TNA Bound for Glory was, on paper, a pretty decent card, and I got to admit there were some really, really great moments. Um, you know, the opening, the opening contest was the X Division title match, which was a great way to open uh, DJZ taking on Trevor Lee, who is an incredibly talented wrestler who just looks, at a glance, very, very vanilla. But, you know, the technical savage, as he's called, is a surprisingly uh, complete wrestler. And he really held his own, made DJZ look like a million bucks. I think DJZ is one of those guys that when he wraps up with TNA, uh, WWE will probably be wise to pick him up. I think he he connects well with the audience, uh, has a good gimmick, has a good move set, 
and would definitely be an asset to WWE's cruiserweight division. The Bound for Gold gauntlet number one contenders match had a um, couple of different talents in there. And, you know, it was obviously one of those things where you look at the match, you look at the people involved, and you say to yourself, all right, which one of these guys is going to be the guy that's going to, that that looks like he's going to win as soon as you hear his name? You know, you had some decent participants, Braxton Sutter, Basil Baraka, uh, Mahabali Shera, Grado, Tyrus, Jesse Goddard, Robbie E, Baron Dax, Rockstar Spud, and Eli Drake. Now, as soon as you look at those names, you say to yourself, okay, if I was looking to put a guy over to be the next contender, who would it be? Now, obviously, looking at them all, maybe Jesse Goddard, because he looks the part. Maybe Tyrus. Maybe you want to go... In, in a completely opposite direction and go with Mahabali Shara. But honestly, as soon as I saw the, the, the participants, I said it's probably going to be Eli Drake. And the reason is because Eli Drake, whether you love him or hate him, definitely has the tools to be a, a major player in TNA or any other organization. He's, he's confident on the mic. He looks good in the ring. He wrestles well, uh, connects very well with the audience. His catchphrase is... Okay, I'm not saying it's the best, but it does it does the job. So, big shocker, Eli Drake did win the Bound for Gold gauntlet match to go on to become number one contender. Now, again, Eli Drake is one of those guys that has the tools but needs good feuds to put him in that upper echelon. If he doesn't, it's going to be squandered. I think that was one of the things that hurt him in his feud with Cowboy James Storm, uh, with Cowboy James Storm, but I, I understand, you know, he's a guy that came out of nowhere, came in as a faction with Drew Galloway and um, oh, what the hell is that guy's name? He used to be on, I believe he he's uh, he's Tomatonga's brother. I know that he's Haku's son. I don't remember what his name was in TNA at the time, but. He came in with Eli Drake and Drew Galloway, and I, I looked at, at, the, at the three of them, and I said, you know, Drew Galloway, everybody loves him. There's this whole big fascination with him being a main event player. I like Galloway. He's all right. Do I think that him and his groundskeeper, Willie Accent, should, you know, be front front and center for a company? Eh, you know, not really. I, I thought that out of that trio, Eli Drake had a lot of potential. I think he just needs, uh, like I said, a really good feud and just a, a little bit more polish on his gimmick. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. The conflict between Moose and Mike Bennett escalate, continued to escalate with them squaring off at Bound for Glory. Not shocked that Moose ended up going over, as I think that TNA is um, trying to get the most out of their investment with the Moose signing. I think that both Moose and Mike Bennett have tremendous upsides for the company. If I had to be a if I had to be a betting man, I had to say I have to say that in terms of long term, Mike Bennett is the better bet than Moose. Moose has the uh, the catchphrase, he has the look, but in terms of longevity and putting on great matches and just being a complete wrestler, I think Mike Bennett definitely has that on lock. Uh, Dave in the chat says Galloway is super meh even when he was in WWE. Exactly. I just feel, I understand, you know, he's a big dude. 
got the long hair, uh, you know, the Scottish accent. It, it, it looks cool, you know, on paper. And again, I don't think that he's a terrible wrestler. On the contrary, good wrestler. I just look at him like a long haired version of Sheamus. Sheamus looks the part, is a good wrestler, but he just, he just doesn't connect. I don't know if it's the gimmick or what. He just, he just doesn't connect. And that happens once in a while. You know, a guy comes along, is a complete wrestler, does the job, is passable in terms of his gimmick, but just not the guy. You always have to either find a, a, a gimmick, a, a, a gimmick tweak or maybe a manager or something to help that particular character turn the corner. It varies from wrestler to wrestler. I just feel that Galloway, you know, much like uh, David in the chat room said, is meh. <laughs> you know, that's that that that's a that's a pretty good fucking assessment. Drew Galloway is meh. Um, I think for me, the funny thing is that with with him, he came in. TNA was all into the character. They promoted him. That now you know he went from being the champ to feuding with Damian Sandow. <laughs> which again Sandow now Aaron Rex is another good signing but in terms of long-term potential he needs something I don't know if it's a, a better gimmick uh, a better finisher don't know but you know Aaron Rex aka Damian Sandow's TNA run thus far has been much like what David was saying about Galloway meh he did go on to defeat Eddie Edwards to become the first TNA grand champion and I think that's cool. I think that's, um, you know, you put the belt on, on a veteran, an established guy. Um, you know, props to Eddie Edwards for stepping in. Obviously, this is going to lead to uh, some a continuation of his feud with Galloway. But, you know, putting the belt on an established guy like Aaron Rex, I think, is good for the title. But we'll see where it goes after Bound for Glory. That's for sure. The um the tag team title Great War between the Broken Hardies and Decay was about as insane and as crazy as you would have expected. I think that, you know, for as much as we give um Broken Matt Hardy and Brother Nero shit, I think that they have genuinely found a way to once again reinvent themselves and get the crowd completely and utterly interested in in the product. And it's crazy because even on, on episodes of raw and SmackDown, you hear delete chants, you hear obsolete chants, subtle, but you hear them. And that just shows you that the gimmick, the gimmick has connected with the audience. Is it good? Is it bad? I'm always, I'm always mixed when it comes to the whole broken gimmick. And the reason is because Matt Hardy goes so over the top and so left field with it that it becomes it becomes insane. It becomes insane to the point where it's like a car accident, you know? You don't want to look, but you're compelled to. That's um that's, you know, that's definitely uh how I feel about it. Now, Jeff Hardy is another guy. You repackage him. The only time that I felt that TNA dropped the ball with Jeff Hardy was when he was a heel and he had that stupid custom belt and they were trying to make him cool. I just felt that they did a they did a bad job with him, but now in his current brother Nero incarnation, he is he is dialed on all dialing on all cylinders. And once again, it goes to show you that no matter how old the the Hardys are or how out of shape they may look, 
when it comes time when it comes time to deliver amazing matches, stellar matches, and the from from a tag team perspective, the Hardys are in a class all by themselves. In addition to obviously becoming the new tag team champions, they made Decay look special. And that's all that matters. You know, you take at the end of the day, you know, your 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 wrestlers and their, you know, your favorite wrestlers are defined by their opponents. And I've talked about this before on air and off air. And it's one of those things where there's certain wrestlers that you watch them and you see them mix it up with certain other wrestlers. And you say to yourself, wow, everything that, that went into that match was special. And we've talked about it. We've talked about it with the rock and stone cold, Steve Austin. We've talked about it with triple H and Shawn Michaels. Um, recently with Dolph Ziggler and the Miz, uh, you know, it's one of those things that when you look back on the legacy of a certain performer, and I'll use a great example. When I look when I look at the Hardy Boys or the Hardys, and I look at their legacy, teams that come to mind, obviously the Dudleys, Edge and Christian. Um those are those are teams that help define the Hardys as a tag team. They they did it because of their amazing uh, TLC matches. They did it because of the the passion that they brought through. You know that they just brought through both in terms of the match itself and the buildup. And I gotta say that Decay can go up there for TNA as a group of individuals that have brought out something amazing from the Hardys. And the thing is, even Rebby, who I'm not, you know, I'm not a fan of. I feel that you know she kind of just nudged her way in there i feel that even rebby in 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 her involvement for the match was was good she she played her part well and um it really just showed that with the right dynamic the right story and just the right participants even the craziest most far-fetched thing like final deletion the great war uh delete versus decay you're you're gonna get something special and fuck. As crazy as that match was, it was definitely special. So props to both Decay and the Hardys for what was a match that many of us are gonna be talking about for quite some time. Gail Kim, of course, went into the Hall of Fame and it was a very, very cool uh ceremony for her. Um a lot of great superstars from from TNA's past showed up to congratulate Gail and induct her into the Hall of Fame. Uh, it was a no-brainer that she would go on to defeat Maria and become the Knockouts champ. And obviously, I thought that was the right play. Not that Maria is a, um, you know, a bad personality, but she is a, a fucking terrible, 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 terrible wrestler. I'm sorry, but she is. Maria is a great manager. She's good for taking a... She's good for taking a bump, you know, for for some bumps. But in terms of like putting together a match, it is it is bad. It was bad, and, and I felt bad for Gail Kim because Gail Kim had to carry her more so than usual to to get a passable match. It definitely was one of the weaker things on the card. Uh, the TNA World Title No Holds Barred match um, Lashley ended up retaining in a pretty solid match against EC3. Um, not one of EC3's best matches, and that's saying a lot. Not that you know Lashley is this amazing five-star wrestler, 
because he's not either. But I just felt that if you had to, if, if somebody told me, give me three reasons to watch Bound for Glory, and I'm being honest, give me three reasons. I would say the X Division title match, amazing. The TNA tag team war between Decay and the Hardys, amazing. And Gail Kim's Hall of Fame induction ceremony were all reasons enough to tune in. I'm being honest. Again, that's not to say that TNA's Bound for Glory card was was garbage or terrible, but it wasn't great, but it wasn't it wasn't something that you needed to see. But I got to say this, the great war needs to be seen. If if you if you want to do yourself one favor, it is you got to see that. And it's because it it was a combination weird crazy over the top but fun definitely fun and i think that sometimes that's what you're looking for as a wrestling fan sometimes you want you don't need a a five-star mat classic you don't need a, a giant spot fest you just want something you can enjoy and i genuinely enjoyed the great war i enjoyed the x division match uh gail kim's induct uh, hall of fame induction was about as special as you could expect and the card, the card was, like I said, it was okay. It was all right. Was it their best card? Absolutely not. Was it their worst? Definitely not. But I got to say this. Don't let Maria get into the fucking ring. Please don't. You know, put her out there with Mike Bennett. Put her out there to manage other female wrestlers. Please, 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 please. Do not let her wrestle. Please don't. All right. Let's switch gears, head into the WWE side of things. Um, there were there were a lot of good moments on Raw this past Monday. Um, Brian Kendrick defeating TJ Perkins in the non-title match. Uh, some people were upset because they felt that, you know, you went through all this and, and now you have, you know, you have Brian Kendrick defeating TJ Perkins. But I think that in order to solidify the Cruiserweight division, you need to start establishing villains like anything else i know that people hate that but in you need to start clearing you know clearly defining your heels and your faces and i think that the brian kendrick is a stellar and amazing wrestler and the work he's capable of putting on as a heel is only going to benefit the division as a whole and again tj perkins is everything that wwe could hope for an amazing superstar, credible, talented, amazing moveset, young, um, you know, has the Filipino community that you can build on. Um, there, there's a lot going for him as a performer. But the thing is, you got to decide, are you going to make him a challenger, a champion that is able to overcome all obstacles? Or are you going to make it that you're trying to define him as a superstar by giving him an equally impressive foil? In this case, Brian Kendrick. I think, um, you know, you can't you can't go and give the guy all these accolades, have him win his title match, have him go out there and perform, and then lose to the same guy. I mean, I understand why you're doing it because, again, like I said, you're trying to establish uh, heels and faces, but it may do more, a little more harm than good. Uh, David in the chat says, TJP should not have lost. Can't start the division 50-50 book in the champ. 
I can I can understand that, and like I said, I can also understand what they're trying to accomplish. But wins and losses don't affect everybody. But a guy who is the face of your division, it will affect him. Simple as that. We had another Braun Strowman squash match, which uh, which ended with him putting out a threat that he wants more credible opponents. We'll see what happens. Cue the Big Show, cue Kane, or cue Mark Henry to step up and challenge Braun Strowman because why not? Um, Sami Zayn squared off against Titus O'Neil, who is also being repackaged in this new entrepreneurial gimmick. I guess that's that's what I got from it. Not 100% sure how I feel about it. Like I said, Titus O'Neil as a singles competitor looks the part. His gimmicks all suck. Best Titus O'Neil I've seen is with Darren Young. By himself, both him and Darren Young are not that great. I'm sorry, but they're not. Anderson and Gallows defeated the Golden Truth, at which point I got up and went to the bathroom. Um, the New Day squared off against Jericho, and I gotta say, um, Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens are fucking magical on the microphone. You give those guys five minutes they create some incredibly compelling television and they got they got it with the new day they definitely got it with the new day i feel that um you know xavier xavier woods clowning kevin owens like kevin owens hasn't jumped over much of anything was hilarious but again i go back to something i've talked about before you know clowning kevin owens weight is just an easy easy target and you know we really are beyond that but in this one instance, I will say that Xavier Woods was fucking hilarious in his delivery. And of course, Jericho adding him to the list and Xavier Woods' great reaction just added to what was an awesome segment. We had a great match. We had a great segment. Everything was right in the world. So kudos to both Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens and, of course, The New Day for giving us some solid, solid television. We got to see Tony Nese once again on Raw this week, taking on Rich Swan. Um, I, I, once again, another guy that I feel WWE needs to take advantage of is Rich Swan. And Rich Swan is marketable, can wrestle, and is entertaining. If you're going to have Tony Nese go out there and defeat Rich Swan, I pray that it's because you signed Tony Nese to a contract. Tony Nese. You know, he's not called the pre the premier athlete for anything. I've seen him wrestle here on the New York Independent Circuit. The guy definitely has all the tools. And if you're not going to put Neville in the X division at this time, then Tony Nese is about as good of a substitute as any. The guy definitely doesn't fuck around. And even though I was bummed to see Rich Swan lose again, I understand you got to start defining your quote unquote heroes and, and, and villains in the in the, you know, on that roster. And I think they did a good job. Sheamus and, and Cesaro took on <laughs> two jobbers. Uh, once again, re-establishing uh, the dysfunctional tag team and all the potential that they bring to the table. Uh, reminds me of the old days of Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, who were obviously feuding at the time, put together as a tag team, went on to have some stellar matches against numerous teams at the time and really were just... Uh, they, they just worked. They just clicked. And I think uh, Sheamus and Cesaro have the tools to make that happen. But you got you to gotta start making it less about the animosity and more about them just being 
uh, a credible team in your division. We'll see if that is definitely the case. But, um, you know, I think that the pairing works. It's just a matter of how long are we going to uh, rely on the dysfunction on the dysfunctional aspects of the team as the driving force for them to be, uh, you know, worthy of TV time. That's how I see it. Now, of course, the women's title match, not only did it close out Raw, but it was fucking stellar. Stellar match between two of the premier athletes in WWE's women's division. Um, when you look at it, Becky Lynch, Bailey, Sasha Banks, Charlotte, the, the four pillars of your women's division. And I feel that when you put them in there, you are capable of delivering magic. And I understand that the feud, some people have said it's gone on too long. It's, it's, being, it's being pushed too much. I think that if we're going to go out there and we're going to see what we saw on Monday, which was great storytelling, amazing moves from both women, and just, just a, a, a crowd that was on the edge of their seat, then you're insane. You are insane. But let me say this. Sasha Banks defeated Charlotte. Everybody feels that they're probably going to wrestle one more time at Hell in the Cell. That could happen. I have no problem with it. And obviously we're seeing, we saw this past Monday that Dana Brooke will probably be leading to, into a program with Bailey. I don't have a problem with that either. But you're, you're going to spoil the crowd too because you're, you're delivering these consistently great matches and then you don't have credible superstars that are going to step up to shoulder the, 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 you know, the load, so to speak right now, you're, you're building it on Sasha and Charlotte and maybe Bailey. But I also think that you got to start figuring out where Nia Jax fits into the equation. You got to start, you know, preparing some of those other divas to come up divas, uh, female wrestlers to, to come up and challenge and be credible opponents for whoever is champion right now, it's Charlotte, Sasha, and Bailey, And you can pretty much play hot potato between the three of them with the belt, and it's great, but you're also building up Nia Jax. And eventually, Nia Jax has to challenge for that belt. Then what? And that, my friends, is the million-dollar question. Sure, we can have Charlotte go and fight Sasha at Hell in the Cell, win, then Bailey wins, faces Charlotte, Bailey becomes champion, Sasha, all of a sudden, maybe you turn her heel. She goes after Bailey. Whatever the case may be, you can play hot potato, like I said, with those three women as champion. But where does Nia Jax fit into the equation? Whether you love Nia Jax or you hate her, you definitely need to to put. You know, you need to put that. You need to have some sort of a payoff with all the squash matches she's been involved in. Simple as that. A couple of lines from the chat. David says Charlotte needed to win that match. Okay. Uh, Slick says, only reason why I want Charlotte to win the belt back is so that Bailey can take it from her. I understand. He goes on to add, Bailey would explode in terms of popularity because she was never able to beat Charlotte in NXT. Viable. Viable point. David adds, she needed that incredibly strong, that incredibly long heel title reign, and Sasha needed that big win on a big show. It's true. Uh, it, they, uh, both of you guys are correct. Uh, Slick adds Bailey versus Nia Jax rematch needs to happen. I agree, and that's only because 
We got to see something special. You know, we got to see some variety out of Bailey, and we got to see something more out of Nia Jax. In terms of Raw as a whole, I felt that it was it was definitely a lot better than it's been uh, the last couple of weeks. I thought we had some really great standout matches. Uh, the Cruiserweight, both the non-title match and the Tony Nese-Rich Swan match were amazing. Uh, New Day and Jericho were tremendous. And um, that women's match, woo, hot fire to close out Monday Night Raw this past Monday. Um, definitely impressed. Hopefully it continues. I know that the uh, they've been competing against the debates, Monday Night Football, and subpar ratings. Um, we can only hope that it you know the product continues to gain momentum every week, and we get to see more uh, five star episodes of Raw, so to speak, and less three star episodes. That's for sure. Now on the flip side, SmackDown had its final show heading into this Sunday's No Mercy event, and I gotta say. It, was, it wasn't that great. For the final show before the quote-unquote pay-per-view, it, you could have fooled me. I'm being honest. You know, Kane and Bray Wyatt were the opener, and then obviously you used that to set up the, the mind games from Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt. Eh, it was, it was all right. You know, we weren't, there's nothing really to write home about. Uh, Nikki Bella defeating Alexa Bliss via DQ. Nobody cares. I'm being honest. Uh, and of course, that ended up becoming a tag team match with Carmella and Alexa Bliss defeating Becky Lynch and Nikki Bella. It, I understand, you know, Alexa Bliss being the, uh, the you know, the challenger and getting her the win before the pay-per-view, which of course sets up um, Becky Lynch obviously defeating her. But eh. the Hype Bros and the Vaude Villains match actually was decent. Not really sure where it's going with the Ascension. Are you starting a feud between the Hype Bros and the Ascension? Okay, but why? I'm being serious. Why? I mean, they're all in the tag team division. I understand they gotta they gotta they gotta square off, but why? Jason Jordan defeating Jey Uso. We knew this was gonna happen, obviously, before the the their 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 tag team match, which is inevitable. You had to have some singles competition. I understood it. Uh, Jack Swagger defeating Baron Corbin was interesting. Curious to see where they go. With that, uh, primarily because there's 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 some there's some good stuff there. It's just how good can you make it? I'm being honest. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it, it's ugh. the problem is Baron Corbin is he looks the part. He's just not a compelling character. And uh, Biff Tannen, aka Jack Swagger, has been ruined so much. That at this point, you can't even take him seriously as any sort of a threat. I'm being honest. I mean, the guy's an incredible athlete, a stellar amateur wrestler, but you've done nothing with him for the longest. And the one thing, the one thing that worked was the was his pairing with Zeb Coulter, and that shit just fell by the wayside too. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if Jack Swagger gets a breath of fresh air, uh, you know, a breath of life and becomes... Uh, something new. And a um, couple of things from the chat. David says, Randy and Bray is boring the shit out of me. I don't, it's not boring me, but it's definitely not good. <laughs> it's not great. That's for sure. Um, Slick adds, Swagger's Rusev feud destroyed him. 
Yes and no. I think that there could have been some good back and forth between them, but they didn't do that. They just had Rusev pretty much obliterate Jack Swagger at every turn, at which point no people just stopped giving a shit. <laughs> and they, they definitely did nothing with him after. And that's what it was. At least if you could have had him win one, lose one, win one. You know what I mean? Like if you would have added a little bit of more, a little bit more high drama to that type of a feud, you might have had something better. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Like Slick said, they did nothing with him. David adds, Corbin needs Jake Roberts, and I refuse to stop saying it until it happens. I, I, I think Baron Corbin is okay on the microphone, but a manager would not hurt. I can agree with that. Uh, the end of the of the program saw the uh, the three way interview between Cena, Ambrose, and AJ Styles, and there were a lot of really good moments there. I think um, we start we start we're starting to see some good character development for Dean Ambrose. I like what they're doing with Cena, and I think this is one of those great moments where. The title going to any one of these three superstars is A-OK. Ambrose winning it back continues Ambrose's is his rise as the anti-hero the WWE so desperately wants to create. AJ maintaining the keeping the title and defending it going forward adds more credibility to AJ Styles as a big time performer and continues to add to the legacy of AJ Styles, the performer in WWE. And I think that's great Um, for John Cena, obviously him winning tying Ric Flair's record. It's, it's amazing if that happens, but again, not necessarily something that we need for long term. If Cena wins it and then loses it very quickly, it would be fine. If you have him tie the record, like I said, it's anybody's game for this Sunday. Any way you slice it, it's really going to be some interesting television because like I said, you can you can continue to build Ambrose with the title, and it's a step in the right direction. But you can also, like I said, take AJ and make him the face of your company because he has all the tools. You know, it's simple as that. Slick says, uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to read that. Uh, David adds, if they give Cena that fucking belt, man. Slick adds, Ambrose with the title equals... Here's the thing. You guys all make compelling arguments. Obviously, Cena winning the belt is what we don't want. But in terms of just obviously obvious legacy and the record, there's there's importance there. There is genuine importance. And I got to say that whether you love Cena or hate him, he is capable of going out there and delivering amazing matches when necessary. That's that's one thing that's never been a, a doubt when Cena is your champion. But I also feel that AJ deserves a longer run because he is the more well-rounded of the three. And when I say that, it's because AJ's microphone skills are improving. He can go out there and wrestle consistently, and the crowd is invested either 100% or not. With Cena, you're, you're running the risk of that, you know, that, that divided crowd. And not only that, but giving him opponents that are actually worth watching him wrestle like him and Ambrose working a program isn't bad, but you need to really raise the stakes, make Ambrose a, a more, a more badass dude. Um, there's stuff there that needs to be addressed. 
Slick adds, Ambrose, I want him to be champ, but they got to book his title run better. I agree. David, David adds, they got to quit hot-shotting these belts. I'm starting to not even care at this point. Valid. Now, we've talked about all that, and of course, the one thing that I didn't talk about, because I wanted to save it for the end, was Dolph Ziggler and The Miz. A couple of great things came out of that segment. First of all, the Spirit Squad were on our TV once again. Well, two of the members, uh, that being Kenny Dykstra and Mikey, who definitely did not look flattering in that green fucking jumpsuit. <laughs> but um, it was it was a great trip down memory lane. I liked what The Miz did. We got to see Dolph Ziggler as Kerwin White's caddy, which was completely terrible. Um, obviously, as a member of the Spirit Squad, when he debuted as Dolph Ziggler, uh, there were a lot of really cool moments in that, um, you know, that little career retrospective. And it's funny because somebody put a meme up on social media and they said that video package also reinforced that WWE has dropped the ball with Dolph Ziggler more times than they care to count. True. But I got to say that the feud, the feud between the spirit, uh, the spirit squad, <laughs> the feud between Ziggler and the Miz has really been some of the more the more well-written television I've seen in quite some time. I think partially it's because, like I've said before, you know, champions are defined by their opponents. And I think that the friendship that Ziggler and The Miz have behind the scenes really helps them bring that emotion to the table. And I also feel that The Miz being champion is necessary because that's one thing. With The Miz being your champion... You can do so much more with him because he has that crossover potential. With Dolph Ziggler, you always have the, you know, he knows how to sell. He knows how to work. He's entertaining. But once you strip all that away, what do you get? It's like Dolph Ziggler is one part HBK, one part Mr. Ass, and that's great. But in terms of booking it forward and doing anything long term, WWE has never, ever, 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 ever viewed Dolph Ziggler as anything more than a good worker that is able to, to sell incredibly well. People don't want to admit it, but that's what it is. They've, they've, they've pretty much stopped accepting Dolph Ziggler as anything more than a gatekeeper, a good mid-card hand that'll make anyone look good. And it's unfortunate because Dolph Ziggler has the appeal has the potential to to be the guy that that sells you know that can sell shirts and sh- and sell merchandise and you could send them to you know Kelly Ripa show or the View or Conan O'Brien. I think he has he has the 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 marketing chops to go out there and do that, but WWE doesn't see it that way and I think that's one of the reasons why I feel that Dolph Ziggler may actually lose the champ the title versus career match. On Sunday, and I'll get more. I'll get into that a little bit more later on in the segment. Anyway, overall, Raw was the better show this week than SmackDown, and Bound for Glory was definitely better than SmackDown. That's for sure. As for the other wrestling news of the week, of which there were plenty, that's for sure. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is the tag teams for the Dusty Rhodes Classic. Um, of course, we're getting our new Dusty Rhodes Classic this year, and we've seen a lot of great teams been being announced so far, including uh, the announcement that the Revival was going to be entered. Um, the teams so far are the Revival, Andrade Cien Almas, and Cedric Alexander, 
uh, DIY, uh, Gargano and Ciampa, Hideo Itami and Kota Ibushi, which is definitely a team that's going to be worth watching. Uh, Tino Sabatelli and Riddick Moss, Bobby Roode and Ty Dillinger, uh, aka the Glorious Ten. I don't want to. I don't want to give up too much with regards to that. The Bollywood Boys, uh, both individuals from that tag team, wrestled in the Cruiserweight Classic. Uh, Nico Bogajevic and Tucker Knight, TM61, the Authors of Pain, Ho Ho Loon and Ben Wang. No Way Jose and Rich Swan, which I'm not even shocked at that pairing. Uh, Lince Dorado or Lince Dorado, depending on how you choose to pronounce it, taking on Mustafa Ali. Uh, Tony Nice and Drew Gulak, the debuting Sanity faction, which I don't want to spoil for anyone. And um, Austin Aries and a mystery partner. Now, David says, I don't want either one to lose. Give me the good old dusty finish. <laughs> well played. Now, looking at this at the teams involved, I wasn't too convinced that I would give a shit about Austin Aries until PW Insider said that Austin Aries mystery opponent, mystery partner may be the debuting Roderick Strong. And that alone makes things very, very interesting. Uh, particularly because many people know or have heard that Roderick Strong has signed with WWE and was going to be debuting very, very soon. The other thing is because Aries and Strong have worked together both at Ring of Honor and TNA. So it raises a very, very interesting question. And that is, do we pull the trigger and let Strong and Aries win the cruiser, uh, the cruiserweight, the uh, the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, or do we take this as an opportunity to uh, build up TM61 or the Authors of Pain or even the debuting Sanity, which uh, David adds, uh, Sanity is going to be amazing. I gotta say this about the Sanity faction without giving away too much. I feel they are WWE's decay to a point. But I also feel that the individuals that are part of that team are going to set them, they're going to set them apart from anything that we've seen lately. That's all I'm going to say without spoiling too much. Obviously, if you want to spoil it, you can look online and you'll know who is part of this sanity team and um, what they bring to the table. Again, it's something that you're going to have to keep an eye on and... Um, We'll see what happens. The Cruiserweight Classic is going to get underway over the next few weeks, and I'm going to be watching it very, very closely. Now, let's talk about some stabbings, because we've had two of them in pro wrestling this week. The first one uh, involved Jamie Noble, uh, who many of you know from Seth Rollins' J&J Security, and also as a WWE performer. Uh, Jamie Noble was stabbed two times early Wednesday morning outside of his, uh, uh, well, inside a trailer park. Uh, he was He's currently hospitalized. And um, what ended up happening was allegedly a guy, you know, they, he said that Jamie Noble ran him off the road. Jamie Noble apologized. Words were exchanged. A knife was pulled. And, um, you know, Jamie Noble fought with the two guys, ended up getting stabbed. He got stabbed once in the upper back and then towards the middle of his back near his spine. 
it was crazy because he was saying that the guy they were trying to actually like like cut him even more so, but he managed to fight them off. Uh, really scary stuff. Um, you know, wish Jamie Noble a speedy recovery. That's that's some wild shit. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Now, the other crazy situation involved Alberto Del Rio, a.k.a. Alberto El Patron. Um, what ends up happening is he was supposed to have an event at AAA on Sunday, which he no-showed. And obviously the internet ran wild with Del Rio no-showing. Turns out that he was assaulted by a, a guy that pulled a knife on him outside of a restaurant and attacked Del Rio. Del Rio was, uh, he had some lacerations on his arms, lacerations on his head. Um, he had to get medical attention, lost a lot of blood. He notified AAA, and of course, you know, he's going to continue to try and do all the other shows through, during, the remain, during the rest of the year. Now, it's particularly scary because, you know, Del Rio, Del Rio's a great, his life is fucking bananas. We're talking about a guy that fought Mirko Crow Cop in a lucha mask, um, you know, is, is messing around with a girl that's probably young enough to be his daughter, um, can come and go when he pleases, uh, slaps the shit out of WWE staff for legitimate reasons, leaves the company, comes back because they want him back, leaves because he feels that he can, uh, admits to being on TRT, just, just crazy shit. Del Rio's real life is more entertaining than his WWE career. Um, it's, it's some wild shit, uh, both with the Jamie Noble situation and the Del Rio situation. They're trying to obviously find the perpetrators that were involved, but, um, scary stuff, man, you know, wish, uh, Alberto Del Rio a speedy recovery too. I mean, if you look on Del Rio's Instagram, you can see some of the injuries, uh, slick. If you could, um, throw those links in the chat room for anybody that's interested in seeing that, um, just real unfortunate stuff for both of those guys. Like I said, I wish them both a speedy recovery. Once again, concrete proof that the WWE's experiments with tough enough rarely pan out as they hope. Uh, it's been reported that WWE tough enough six winner, Sarah Lee was released from her contract. Uh, she had ended up winning that season along with Josh Breedle. Um, you know, Sarah won the $250,000 contract, but wasn't used much after making one appearance at a house show a while back. It's funny because the runner-up, which was Amanda Sakamano, and who now wrestles as Mandy Rose, is still with the company and has also appeared on Total Divas and NXT. Um, just really crazy to read that. Um, it's funny also because the... After the release, it was said that she was uh, she was pregnant um, with uh, a child with uh, NXT superstar Wesley Blake, which was interesting. Now, I don't know if that was a factor in her being released, but um, it's also interesting that, you know, that that piece of information came out and then nobody really talked any further about it. But again, the tough enough situations are always weird because you look at some of these competitors and it's always the guys that are signed post-tough enough that end up being the, the the real winners. And I say this because you look at Johnny Nitro, a.k.a. Johnny Mundo on Lucha Underground, a.k.a. John Hennigan, signed, didn't, you know, didn't win tough enough, but ended up still being um, not only a solid WWE superstar, 
but also just an overall solid hand in the, in the, in pro wrestling. In addition to that, you look at um you look at Kenny who wrestles in um what the hell? He wrestles in Ring of Honor, originally wrestled in TNA and Kenny uh the thing is that that's a guy that he was on tough enough. People forget that. You know, even though you look at the at the at the um you know, you look at at, at Kenny in Ring of Honor as part of the All Night Express and then you look at him as part of um the BDC, the Beatdown Clan in TNA, you wouldn't even think that he was on tough enough, but he was way back when. In addition to that, you look at Maven. You know, Maven won tough enough. He he was pretty popular, and then he got cut loose and nothing. And then uh, Matt Capitelli, who was the re- you know one of the winners, uh, he ended up obviously, you know, dealing with cancer and other health issues, and we never got to see him either. And that's how it works, you know. Like sometimes you get more out of tough enough from the people that didn't win than from the people that actually did. Uh, right now, even you know, ZZ was another guy that they got from tough enough. They tried to do stuff with him. They ended up cutting him loose, and um, then you look at, uh, like I said, Sarah Lee also cut uh, Daria, who I've seen her wrestle with the MMA gimmick on NXT, was from Tough Enough. Uh, Mandy, you know, Mandy Rose, also from Tough Enough. Patrick Clark, who we've seen on NXT television a couple of times, was also from Tough Enough. Mind you, none of those people won Tough Enough. It's just, I mean, you know. She got cut from the contract, walks away with $250,000. Not terrible. But um, <laughs> David adds, I completely forgot about Kenny King till a week ago. <laughs> it's unfortunate, man. Kenny King is a solid wrestler, and you would never have thought in a million years that he was on Tough Enough. But he most certainly was. That's for sure. On the WWE injury front, it, it turns out that Eric Rowan allegedly suffered a torn rotator cuff during a recent house show and is now on the injured list until March. Sorry, Eric Rowan, but I doubt anyone will give a shit that you're not on TV. As much as as much as I understand his usage with Bray Wyatt, I really don't give a shit. Wish him a speedy recovery, but give two shits about him on my television. Simple as that couple of other things i want to talk about before we wrap up for the night uh goldberg and lesnar are rumored to be squaring off at survivor series and a lot of different media outlets are reporting that a deal is pretty much done with the uh, survivor series going down november 20th in toronto and the focus on goldberg in the upcoming wwe 2k17 game a lot of rumors were originally started because of that and then the increased focus between him and brock on TV has fueled those rumors even more so. Now they're saying that the conversations went from regular negotiations to heavy negotiations to being all but confirmed. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks if the man, Goldberg, ends up back on TV and um, if he does square off against Paul Heyman's number one client. It's going to be interesting to see Goldberg back on TV. The WWE landscape has changed quite a bit. But I feel that even now, years later, Goldberg has all the potential to not only sell merch, but get people interested in the product. So we'll see what happens. I think Goldberg is a guy that 
can come in, make things interesting, have a solid match with Brock, maybe go in the Hall of Fame as a result, and people people wouldn't mind. We'll see what happens. We'll see if it all pans out. If any additional news pop up regarding that rumor, of course, we'll share it either on Rageworks, on MTR Live, or in our Facebook group, which you can find on Facebook. Just punch in Rageworks, and our group will come up. <laughs> David says Survivor Series is going to be WrestleMania 20 all over again. You know what it is? I, I would have thought that too, but I think that the, that wrestling fans have accepted part-time performers and they understand that they're, you know, they're just there to get people interested. And yes, I mean, is it, is, does it suck that they may have a main event or co-main event spot on a, on a television program? Sure. Or even on a pay-per-view, sure. But I also feel that those guys, part-timers or not, will get people to tune in, will get people interested. And um, it's going to be one of those things that it's a gift and a curse. I mean, Goldberg can come in, wrestle with Brock, never wrestle again, and that'll be it. And he'll get his Legends deal. He he may do a, a compilation, you know, a couple of compilation uh, stuff for the network and maybe some interviews. Who knows? But I think that Goldberg contributed enough to the wrestling business that we may be worth. It may be worth giving him another shot. It's all a matter of where Triple H is in this equation, and if Triple H is going to be a fucking hindrance to to any successes Goldberg may have, we shall see. But I think him and Lesnar going again, I it might be it might work. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they were talking about Lesnar and The Rock wrestling again. And once again, you got two part-timers wrestling, but it leads to more revenue and more money for the company. So we'll see what happens. And uh, the other bit of news, which originally broke on E! and also WWE shared it as well, is that Daniel Bryan is going to be a dad. Uh, Him and Brie Bella are expecting their first child, which pretty much puts a bullet in Brie Bella ever coming back to wrestling. She may... But obviously, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Uh, big congrats to Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella. D. Bry is going to be a dad. Uh, the SmackDown uh, GM is definitely going to have his hands full. And I think, you know, Brie Bella, she wanted to start a family and now they're going to. So uh, very cool news to hear. Uh, like I said, congrats to Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella. And to wrap things up for tonight's show, give you guys my predictions for this Sunday's No Mercy pay-per-view. Um, Jack Swagger and Baron Corbin, like I said earlier, I do I care where it goes? No. Only because, obviously, they're probably going to give the victory to Baron Corbin just to, because Jack Swagger is a bit more credible. And given the weird ending from SmackDown on Tuesday, that may be the case. But it could go either way. I kind of feel they're going to give it to Corbin. But, you know, if if they're trying to do something long term, they may give it to Swagger. It's uh, (laughs) well played, David. Well played. Um, Nikki Bella and Carmella. Obviously, you're trying to build Carmella up. But Nikki Bella is the more marketable of the two. I think Nikki Bella is going to carry her to the match. And Carmella may win via shenanigans of some sort, whether it's grabbing the tights or some some other nefarious means. But I think Carmella is going to win just based on that. 
Uh, with Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt, I think after you know Randy Orton did 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 the job for the company, bleeding for Brock Lesnar, you would think that he would want to win. Uh, you know, be the one getting the win in this feud with Bray Wyatt. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Bray Wyatt is going to win this match, and it's just going to continue as a feud for a little longer, which is fine. I think that you got to build up Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt is a guy that should be challenging for a title sooner rather than later. I think him and Randy Orton are capable of having a decent match, but I think that Bray Wyatt's skills and talents are being wasted uh, in feuds like this. Like I said, definitely uh, should be feuding for either you know an IC title or even the world title at this point. Beauty and the Man Beast, Heath Slater and Rhino will be facing the Usos, which I'm sure will lead to the Usos winning the belts, thus holding on to the titles to defend them against American Alpha, and then American Alpha gets the belts. So with that said, Slater and Rhino will be dropping the belts to the Usos. This may possibly lead to Rhino turning on Slater as well. We'll see what happens. Uh, the SmackDown Women's title match, Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss, I'm um, taking Becky on this one, even though Alexa Bliss, they're doing a good job building her up. Definitely not ready for any sort of a title run at this point. So I definitely see Bex walking out with the belt at no mercy. The career versus title match. The, the, positive, the positive wrestling fan, the guy that wants to see good triumph over evil, would have picked Dolph Ziggler to win this match. But there's been a lot of rumors about Dolph Ziggler transitioning to a uh, to a backstage role, uh, to doing some stuff like that. And I think because of that, I think that The Miz may walk out still being IC champ. I also feel that if you're going to put the belt on Dolph Ziggler, you need to continue this feud past this point. That's all I'm saying. Last but not least, AJ Styles, John Cena, Dean Ambrose. Even though John Cena, on paper, I would be winning this match just to tie Ric Flair's record, there's a part of me that feels that AJ Styles will retain and that WWE will start building up a potential Ambrose-Cena feud from this match. We'll see if that's the case, but I am taking AJ Styles as retaining in that match. Let's go to the chat real quick. Uh, Slick says, as terrible as Nikki is, there's no excusable reason for her to lose to shitty-ass Carmella. I agree. He adds, I like how Alexa Bliss looks, but there's no way she can do a title run. I also agree. David says, Bailey should have been on SmackDown or they need to bring up Asuka. I understand why you would say that, but to go with what Slick said, if they bring up Asuka, there's nothing left in NXT, and that's the problem. I think that if the rumors of a women's tournament in 2017 pan out, similar to the Cruiserweight Classic, we're going to start seeing a lot of new additions to the rosters once that's done. I mean, Asuka being in NXT right now, you know, she's the flag bearer. She's carrying the company. And I also feel that if WWE has any tours to Japan, that you're going to need Asuka to sell for NXT as well as Shinsuke Nakamura. And, um, you know, bringing Asuka up right now, it's, it's like I said, it'd be good for the division, but what are you going to have? Asuka and Becky Lynch 50 times? That's the thing. You need somebody to carry the division, and then you need to build around that person. We're doing it on SmackDown with Becky Lynch and the talent that she has there. 
In NXT, we got to do it with Asuka. You know, there's plenty of talent that's out there. Santana Garrett um, is definitely one that you could bring in. You can look at the Shimmer roster. You could look at... Um, obviously, you're not going to bring Ivalice from Lucha Underground because her and WWE didn't part on good terms. But you do have, you know, Taya Valkyrie. You have um, Cheerleader Melissa. There's there's definitely talent out there that can be brought in for the women's division. Uh, you have Sarita, who is coaching currently, a.k.a. Sarah Stock. Uh, you could have her suit up and go on the roster if you wish. Um, you could have Sarah Del Rey, who is a trainer in NXT, also come in and help out if necessary. I think she could fill in, especially on television for NXT. There's there's definitely scenarios that can be applied, but... um. You know, David adds, nobody on SmackDown is credible once Becky beats Bliss. I think that in terms of that, you know, you still have Natalia, even though she did have two front teeth knocked out. So I don't know if we're going to see her anytime soon. But, you know, you still have Natalia. You still have Nikki Bella. You can still do stuff with both of those to challenge Becky Lynch, not necessarily as heels, you know, a heel face dynamic, but just as decent opponents. Do I think that? Nikki Bella versus Becky Lynch is compelling TV? No. But I also think that she can go out there and have a decent match with Becky Lynch. Same thing with Natalia. Even though Natalia and Becky Lynch has been killed, done to death, there's, there's at least something there. Plus, Alexa Bliss, even though she's not going to win, I think it's going to help her. It's going to raise her stock if she does well. <laughs> David adds, snooze fest. <laughs> Dude, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm just painting the scenarios that we got. Don't get me wrong. Asuka being on NA on SmackDown would be great, but it's going to be the same scenario as NXT minus uh, Becky Lynch. Asuka coming up and killing Alexa Bliss and killing um, you know any of these other superstars minus, like I said, Becky Lynch. It's, it, we're going to get a repeat of that. <laughs> you know what it is? Naomi, I, I think Naomi has all the tools to be women's champion. I just don't feel WWE is going to promote her adequately. And it's crazy because Naomi is athletic, marketable. Uh, she has a cool entrance, an awesome gimmick. Kids love that shit. If they start selling those glowing uh, glasses that she wears, they'll make a killing. Like they have market. There's plenty of, of potential marketing with, um, Naomi at the helm. I just don't think WWE knows what to do with her as a performer. That's all I'm saying. But we'll see what happens. WWE No Mercy goes down this Sunday on the WWE Network. Uh, of course, join us next Wednesday when we talk about, obviously, the fallout from No Mercy plus Raw and SmackDown. All right. That said, that's going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. And as always, I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. I'd love to hear yours. Hit us up on social media, on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio or at Rage underscore Works. You can also find RageWorks on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks, or join the RageWorks group on Facebook. Mix it up with myself, Slick, and the rest of the RageWorks crew on there talking MMA, wrestling, gaming, entertainment, and Tons of other nonsense in there as well. If you're on Pinterest, you can look for Rageworks on Pinterest as well as on Google+. 
This episode, as well as any of our past episodes, can be found on RageWorks.net. You can punch in My Take Radio and find past episodes there. If you want to find past audio episodes, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If you're looking for a video archive, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks, where you will find episodes of My Take Radio, event coverage, products unbo- product unboxings, gameplay footage, trailers, and so much more. As always, if you're interested in being a guest on My Take Radio or any of our other shows, drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. If you're interested in advertising on MTR or any of our other shows, you can use either one of those two emails as well. All right, guys, you can join us next Wednesday at 11.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific, for the MMA and wrestling edition of My Take Radio, you can join us tomorrow, well, now officially Thursday, for the gaming and entertainment edition, same time, 11.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific. Thank you guys on behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the Rageworks team. I will see you guys later. Thanks for joining us. Peace. Rich, <laughs> 